Hello and welcome to Sellers Lounge. I'm your host, Pritha Dubey, an international sales trainer and founder of Success Vitamin, where we help organizations create sales superstars by combining the science of selling and the emotional intelligence. On this podcast, I sit across global sales experts to find answers to some of the most pressing revenue growth questions that are on the minds of business heads, CROs, and the startup founders today. We are spotting the top trends and tools that are disrupting the landscape of sales. Ready to graduate from Sales 101 to Sales 1001? Stick around because class is officially in session. Jump right in. All right, everyone, and welcome back again to our podcast. And uh, in this episode, I am very, very thrilled to have my next guest because somewhere since the time I've known her, I've always felt as if she's my soul sister. We kind of speak such same language. We think alike. And uh, most of our conversations, it happens as if, you know, the as if we just are finishing each other's sentence. So I'm very, very glad to have a Janet affair with me. And uh, before I get into all and and start asking her all the questions and about sales and everything, because she's a master on this particular subject, and you're going to love listening to her. But before I do that, I'm going to ask her to give you all a quick round of introduction of who she is, where is she from, and what does she do? Janet, over to you. Oh, thank you so much, Pritha. And I'm I'm really happy to be here. And you're right, people. She's great. Uh, we are, we're like soulmates, but there's something going on. We have a connection across the miles. It's wonderful. So yeah, really pleased to be here. My name's Janet Ferry. I'm a sales trainer and coach, and I'm based in Hertfordshire in the UK. And my background is Xerox. That's where I learned how to sell, which it was fabulous because that it's some of the best regarded methodologies in sales in the entire world. And I've also run a college with my late husband for 17 years, and I've been a sales trainer and coach for 10 years. And I specialize in corporates, but also in people who are just starting in sales, because if you're taught properly at the beginning, then everything else is so much easier. So yeah, really happy to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Janet. And something that uh, I would like to first talk to you about is you're the people who are beginning. Let's let's try and help. Uh, let's try and understand their psychology first. And uh, in today's time, especially those who are beginning to sell, what are some things that, you know, the kind of things that they need to be aware of when it is about selling? Because sales has also gone through a massive transformation from what they probably would have heard from their professors or their parents or their friends who been in the system for a very long time what they have heard could have created some perception in their mind oh for sure and I think the biggest one is the biggest misconception is that to be good at sales you need to be good at talking actually you need to be good yeah you you come across this all the time to be good at sales you need to ask great questions so you need to know what to say but actually what you really need to do is shut up and listen and understand what you're hearing. And so few people get properly heard that if you can master that bit, you're straight away, you're ahead of all those boring people that just go talk, 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 talk. 
because you know when it happens to you, you zone out because it's boring. So learn to ask great questions and learn to listen to the answers. Sales can be great for introverts. There you go. There you go. You have actually spoken my heart again. Sales could be great for the introverts, and uh, it yeah. is actually a it's actually a myth that only those who can talk a lot are going to be a good um, salesperson. It is it is not true. It is not true at all. And uh, you know when people are, it's it's one thing when we say that. Okay, fine. Learn how to ask a question. But I think uh, people should know that. Again, it is not a very easy thing, is it, us to do to ask the right questions, isn't it? So yeah, what I would encourage. So there are three sorts of questions that I believe you should ask, and the first sort of questions are open questions. And with open questions, you get to uncover information. And the way to recognize open questions is they start with these words: who, what, where, when, why, and how. And if you think about it, if you said to a potential customer, what is important to you? Probably it's more than one word answer or or how will you make a decision? It's more than one word answer. So open questions get them to open up and give you information. So the second type of question is closed questions and closed questions tend to have one word answers. Do you like the red one? Will you buy the car? It's a yes or a no. And the way to tell a closed question is that it usually starts with a verb. Will you? Are you? Have you? Should you? And closed questions are great for clarifying, but they can also stop people who talk too much. They can slow them down. And then the final sort of questions, they're not technically questions, um, but there is an acronym TED, TED questions. And TED stands for tell, explain and describe. So this is how it works. Open questions give you information. Closed questions clarify. TED questions probe. So if you find something really good, you can dig deep. And and this is how you would use them. Tell me how you are going to make a decision. Explain to me what is important to you. Describe to me the decision making process. And if you use all those three sorts of questions, what should happen is that you uncover needs and then you can go forward with the sale and, and then you can make recommendations or propose your solution or whatever is next. You were thinking of exactly the same, weren't you? That's why I said that, you know, <laughs> this discussion is going to be absolute fun because we understand each other so well that we exactly know where where it has to be, it, it is going. And the next piece, you know, which is again a transition to this is a lot of time salespeople they ask one or two questions. Probably they know already to ask these open-ended questions and they may have asked a question. They would have got the response and the rest they are going to assume. The rest of the, that probing part that you said, you know, somewhere they do not know how deep I need to probe. And uh, sometimes they just, they are probably just about to dig the gold out. Yeah. When they stop. Yeah, And they're like, okay, I think I've got what enough of, I've done enough of probing and I've got enough of the information. And then they just, just stop. And maybe a little more tell me, you know, that maybe a, one more why question or one more explain me question would have helped. Exactly. So maybe they've said that they've got difficulties and it's to do with tone as well. It's how you ask the question. So if a customer or a prospect has revealed something to you that's potentially quite painful, whether personally or in business, then you can ask another question like, gosh, what would the implications of that be if you can't fix it? 
And what you're doing there is getting them to realize that doing nothing is not an option. <laughs> Because doing nothing is a reason they won't go with you. Some people just don't want to make a decision. So you're trying to, in a nice way, you're, you're trying to get them to realise that working with you is better for them. Absolutely. So another another challenge that salespeople have, and, and, and friends, I'm sure you're enjoying this because what you're getting right now is a free masterclass from Janet, okay? <laughs> so uh, have your notepad and pens out. <laughs> taking notes of this because this is not going to get repeated and please Janet is not she's very expensive if you have to learn this otherwise outside from her it's going to cost you a lot take your notepad and pens out because these this must this is really really a master class that you are all getting here and uh, another aspect that I, I hear, Janet, and, and many salespeople come and say this about the need analysis part, the probing part of why this they understand that asking questions are important. But a challenge that they say is, you know, I have a very limited time with the client and the client doesn't give me so much of time. And we have to end up asking so many questions that the client gets irritated. So this is, again, if you can just help them clear their mind that it is not about the number of questions, it is about the right questions uh, that they ask. There, there is a saying that you have two ears, one mouth, use them in that proportion. <laughs> and that will help that will help you not ask too many questions. And also, if, if you think you are time pressured with them, um, a great one to ask a customer is, what is the most important thing for you to solve? And then that sort of cuts to the most important piece. And another question that can be quite a good one for you as well, I always ask this at the beginning, why is it that you hope I can help you? Because whatever they say later, if they're going, oh, I don't know if I want to, or it's too expensive, you can remind them of that first thing because they've just told you why they want to work with you. So if you ask those two questions at the beginning, they're extremely powerful and it can help you then shape which way you go in the conversation. I mean, if that sounds a little bit advanced, don't worry too much. The The main thing is what I was saying earlier with the other questions. If you follow a structure, open questions to get information, close questions to clarify and probing questions to uncover pain. And also don't think that it that is bad that you're talking about people's pain because pain is the strongest motivator. And if you've ever had toothache, and I bet a lot of you have, I've had bad toothache, you'll do anything to fix that toothache. So even if you're scared of the dentist, you will go to the dentist to fix the toothache. So think of yourself a bit like a dentist fixing your customer's toothache. They've got to go through that little bit of pain with you long term to be better and to feel good. And, and I think you know, we mustn't be squeamish about talking about the customer's pain, because if you can help them, you're doing a disservice if you can't persuade them to work with you. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Tell me something from your time in Xerox that you've learned from that. Yes. And, and you know, I've seen that all the salespeople who come out of Xerox they have something special about them and the way they sell. There is something I haven't worked, but I have all. I always go through this FOMO that I wish once in my life I had been in Xerox and I have actually worked with them and sold them because everybody, and this includes everyone I've met so far and who said that I have been from Xerox, 
there is some process, some methodology of Xerox all of you had at that time, which makes you by default an amazing salesperson or probably say successful salesperson, something that allows you to succeed and, and probably give you, develop that confidence in you. Has it anything, has, has sales changed from that time to now? Oh, massively, massively. So, I mean, the thing about Xerox was they, they were always investing in training. They were a sales-led organization. So I was taught uh, spin selling, consultancy selling and solution selling when I was there. And I I um, I totted up how much training we got. And usually most years it was three or four weeks training, three or four weeks sales training. Think about that. That's a month. That's a twelfth of month. If you take the holiday, it's more like a tenth. They invested in it so heavily. The I think the big difference now is technology, because when I was a salesperson at Xerox, you could ring someone up and say, I've got a new thing. Let me tell you about it. Now they know it already. If you think about your buying process, when you want to buy something, you probably don't even go to a shop anymore. You Google it, don't you? Or you go on Amazon. So the, the sales process is different now because you must be discoverable. Because if you're not discoverable, they, they're not even looking at you. And the other really big thing is social proof. Have you got recommendations? Have you got five-star reviews? I'll give you an example, something we all understand, Amazon. If you go on Amazon and there's one product with a thousand five-star reviews and a similar product with no reviews, every time you're going to buy the one with the thousand five-star reviews because we need social proof. So technology and the ability to be discoverable and the way the sale has changed, which is especially during lockdown, we got very used to pressing a button and turn up tomorrow. So we're impatient and we compare price and we all think we're experts, even if we're not. <laughs> OK, your customers think they're experts, even if they're not. We think we're experts, even if we're not. doesn't matter whether we are or we're not. We think we are. So you have to. It's very much a buyer's market. But if you're not discoverable, forget it. No one's going to use you because they won't be able to find you. Is that, is that your experience as well? Yeah. Interesting that you're saying that because. Many times the salespeople come out and say that making us discoverable is a marketing person's job. You know, they feel that what can we do to make ourselves discoverable? Because our job is after the say the client has reached us and then talking to them and taking them to the closure. That is where our part is. So that is not what we can do. Well, there are some things you can do now. Again, I'm going to go back to Xerox. I never got a single lead in seven years. I had to do it all myself. So if you are in an inbound job where you're getting leads, you're so lucky. All right. Just enjoy it. Stop moaning. It's easy. It's easy converting leads. But if you're not, there are things that you can do. And the first thing is to think of yourself, not your company, yourself as a brand. Now, Pritha and I are both very visible on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the place where you can establish your brand and it isn't necessarily separate from your company, by the way, but your profile belongs to you. And if you work for a company, you make it corporate. Um, and if you work for yourself, well, if you work for yourself, you, you are your own marketing department. So you've got no excuses anyway. You've got nowhere to go. But what you can do is make sure that your profile makes you look professional 
There's lots of SEO within LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a search engine. If you Google Pritha's name or my name, probably the top thing that will come up is our LinkedIn profile before our website, before our names anywhere else. It's probably on our LinkedIn profile. So you can create a strong brand which stands for all the things you want to be known for. So if you want to be known for being professional and providing a certain service and, oh, I don't know, dealing with a certain demographic and that you've got amazing reviews, LinkedIn is your showcase for it. It's for everything. Yeah, I agree. agree. And uh, not only just LinkedIn. LinkedIn, of course, is one of the go-to places when you are trying to reach out to a corporate or a, a business per se. Even for individuals, a lot of earlier LinkedIn was quite restricted to a B2B kind of work. But now even B2C work has started happening a lot through LinkedIn. But the idea basically is to understand where your target, which is the social media or which channel in the in the current world, which is the channel that your target group is frequenting, where they are more active and try to create a brand of your for yourself or you know a visibility for yourself on that particular channel i understand that a lot of these sales folks who are who belong to a large corporate they are limited by the guidelines of the corporate communication so a lot of stuff they cannot talk about the company when they are on social media but that does not mean that you cannot talk about your domain so if you are coming from an investment domain you don't have to talk about what your company is doing or where your company's investment portfolios and how they are strategizing. But you can definitely talk about personal investment. You can talk about the benefits of investment. You can talk and present yourself as a subject matter expert on investment. That also allows your clients to have that trust on you. And sometimes people confuse that part that when we are selling, It's not only the marketing person's job because in today's world, this aspect of being visible on social media is very much a prospecting activity. Earlier it was not, but now it is a prospecting activity of being visible to your target group. Yeah, and and what you have to remember as well is if you approach the customer, potential customer, The first place they're probably going to go is LinkedIn to check you out. So have you got a photo? Is it current? Is it a nice professional photo? Or is it you, I don't know, behaving badly at a party (laughs) and not wearing enough clothes? That's bad. Also, have you filled out all the sections? You haven't got to go crazy, but change the banner. Maybe if you're with a company, they insist on a certain banner anyway. That's fine. But there is... Someone said this to me, and I think it's a really good rule. So in the UK, we have the BBC and their mission statement, I think it's their mission statement, says they educate, inform and entertain. So if you can make your posts educate, inform and entertain, you're more likely to get engagement. The chances are your company posts are the inform ones, the the formal ones that you have to follow the, the process. But you can educate. So if you're in financial services, you could do tips like here are three ways to get the most out of your financial advisor or here are five tips on what are hot products at the moment in the financial services world. 
So you don't have to necessarily write really long, complicated posts. You can do things like reproduce testimonials from clients. My post tomorrow on LinkedIn is going to be a testimonial. She wrote it by hand in this little picture. So I'm going to put that up because it's a bit different. Celebrate your successes. Share case studies. You don't have to mention the customer by name, but you could say, had a great result this week. This is what happened. Customer had X problem. I did Y for them. The result is Z. Look how happy they are. And you can do posts like that. And it's not conflicting with the corporate message, but they get better engagement than the corporate ones because the corporate ones are a bit boring. And they are. And we all know that. (laughs) We just know that. This is so right because... These customer reviews or the customer testimonials or the kind where we are talking about how some real customer has benefited from you or how are you working with a real customer. Social media, we also know, is all about shosha. People also try and show a lot of stuff which may not be real. So we need to also understand that sometimes a customer may have second thought that whatever you're posting or you're you're talking too good stuff but are you true are you for real uh, does that really happen with you does it actually when you are saying that you know you are giving these kind of benefits or that kind of profit does that actually happen so at time these examples these testimonials where the client has agreed to give you a testimonial or you sitting even even you know a simple picture of you at your workplace even that people don't realize that how trustworthy even that picture becomes with uh, you sitting at your workplace and you're talking to a client and you're you have all these files and whatever and you know around you and and that also says that okay Maybe you are not, yeah, maybe you are not just uh, some, you know, illusion. You you are real. That means you have an office. There is something. But, you know, I'll, I'll tell you every time I post a picture of my actual work, not about the other, other value-add content that I am posting, but anything it is related to my training. So it is from inside the training room or I'm sitting with a client. And when there are these real pictures, Trust me, on that particular day, I get loaded with leads. And you know what? I don't know if you've noticed this, Pritha, but when when you have a slightly unusual picture, so I did a negotiation course and they had to negotiate an orange. So two people, one orange, they had to negotiate an orange. Yeah, and I got everybody to throw the oranges in the air and it's a slightly different picture. Or I went training one day and my clothes got splashed. It was raining, so I put a picture I had a spare pair of jeans I put a picture of my feet (laughs) like this customer was great they let me train in jeans these sort of personal ones get they're not personal personal but they're they're informal maybe that's the word they do really well now I met Pritha uh, we had a zoom meeting didn't we a few months ago and I turned it into a post the next day because you commented I turned it into a post next day this is how selling in India and the UK is similar And I just wrote down some of the things we talked about. And that's different. And it does. It gets great engagement because you come across as real. Like that's a human being. Absolutely. And uh, I think since we're talking about more on the social selling side right now, and this is the in thing, this is what is happening currently. And if the salespeople have still not understood how social selling works, very soon they are going to suddenly find themselves nowhere, not even in competition, because 
everybody else would have gone miles ahead of you if you have still struggling with how to work on your social selling skills. Simple things like going on to your target. Suppose somebody is following a CEO of an organization on LinkedIn. You're following that person. Good for you. Now that person has posted something. I mean, then you go on to that person's post and just mention well said. What is that going to do? How is that one, that kind of a comment going to get the attention of that CEO amidst that, you know, some hundred comments are there out there for that CEO. Everybody's trying to grab that person's attention because he's that one, that person is that one client. And so many other people are trying to get this person to become their customer. And all you go there and write, well said. Think about You've got to add something insightful. I'm sure those of you who are on social media, you know, when it's your birthday and 100 or 200 people say happy birthday. Well, everyone says the same. So nobody stands out. So with those posts, I try and make it different. So my my comment stands out and it hasn't got to be fancy. It could be, hey, Preetha, I see it's your birthday. Have a great day. Speak to you soon. Now, that's like that's a sentence. And that will stand out from the 200 people that just want happy birthday. Something else um, LinkedIn does is, it have you noticed it prompts you when, for example, it's somebody have changed their job? And there is a default response, which is something like congrats on the job. I can't remember exactly what it is. I always change that because congrats is an American phrase. And in the UK, we'd say congratulations. So I will I'll change it. I'll make it something like congratulations on the new job. Hope it goes amazingly well. They're lucky to have you. Something like that. It's just personal. And I often get a response from that. Whereas you can tell everybody else, they've just gone like, 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 like. Yeah, if everybody is doing one thing, do something different. Otherwise, you're invisible. That's exactly the point. And this is where you need to also understand. Because, see, you are a salesperson. It, It shouldn't be so difficult for you to master social selling because you know see marketing works with a certain parameters and frameworks and all this stuff but you are in sales you know what attracts a customer and if you don't apply all that knowledge of yours on the social media also then what is the point of carrying all that knowledge because i remember one time to one of the ceos i was trying to i was trying to cold outreach to that person and uh, when that person accepted my connection request, of course, like you said, you know, the, uh, LinkedIn throws these AI generated comments, right, that you can just automatically send. And it was giving me those suggestions that, hi, Janet, and how are you in that way. And uh, instead of following that, I just mentioned, hello, Janet, hope you're doing good. Now, That person immediately got me, gave me a response saying that after a long time, I have heard someone say hello. People are so used to saying hi to everybody that after a long time, somebody said hello. And it was, and I could immediately realize that this was not computer generated. This is a human wrote to me. See, it is just one word. As as AI becomes a thing, and AI is brilliant and it's amazing and it's fun for sales, but 
it's not there yet. It's not as personalized as it could be. And there's always going to be a space for you as a human being to be a little bit different to how AI works. You can have fun with AI. I've seen a lot of people doing posts where they've said, this is AI. What do you think? I've done it. In fact, you don't know this, Pritha, but um, when we chatted before, you showed me um, a screenshot of an AI message that you sent out. Um, we were just started to talk about yes. chat GPT. Yes. So yeah. I used that in my training. I actually um, I screenshotted this and said this is one of the things you can do with it. But the downside to AI is that particularly marketing companies are just creating messages and they're sending them out. They are spamming. And you can tell, you can tell, I can tell, we can all tell. And their view is if you send out enough, some of it will stick. But in sales, we're not about numbers. We're about focusing and targeting. So the thing to remember is people really value personal outreach. If you think about it, especially, oh, I don't know, if I reached out to someone, I own my company. Well, that sends a completely different message that Janet has reached out than somebody in the admin department who's got AI has reached out. It's a completely different message. And what impression do you want to create? And what you want to create is the impression that you actually care about them. Yeah, exactly. So people do not understand that AI can, or any other, those chatbots or whatever you are using, like you rightly said, if I am targeting a mass market, yes, probably it can still help you get some, uh, those cold outreaches can still benefit if you are using an AI and you should also. To some extent to screen out the window shoppers or the tire kickers, you can send out those things and you can get some genuine interested leads and then you can carry on forward with it. But if you are into B2B, into enterprise or into very niche selling where you need to connect with an individual, And if you are saying that you are way too lazy to do research on the person and connect personally with that person, then think about it that are you, should you be in sales or should you be doing something else maybe? Yeah. And and I'll tell you something else because sometimes I'm on the other end. I'm a buyer. I'm not just selling. If someone approaches me, and they have something they are trying to persuade me to use. And they start off with a question like, what do you do? <laughs> They're never going to get the sale from me because I'm very visible. And also, a lot of the time, they're trying to pitch something that I do anyway. So they haven't checked. Annoys me. And yeah, I'm, I'm quite easygoing. But this is my world. This is sales. You want to sell to me? You're not going to do it by being lazy. And you may get told off. <laughs> that's that's true we keep receiving this every time people tell me they will sell they will come to me to sell me a sales training program for my employees i'm like really one one day soon you're gonna be good right (laughs) the other day i received that we can help you generate uh, a lot of leads and um how it is linked so every time I receive a mail like this that you know I can generate a lot of leads for you like two a few days back I received a request saying that your profile is good on LinkedIn but it's not probably leveraging it to its full potential and there is a lot of more potential that you can do from it I said interesting all right so why not I mean if you have something that can help me maximize the potential I'm more than interested in listening so I said who is this person Let me go and at least check this person's profile. And I realized that this person 
has become this LinkedIn whatever profile um, booster or something. Uh, from this month, September 2023, that person started. And uh, before that, this person was into something else. Yeah. And now if that person comes to me and says that I can boost your profile, my next obvious question to my mind is that you haven't done it yet for yourself. Yes. And do you know, one of the things that all of you can do, which really helps, is get recommendations. And I know, um, actually, I'm not sure how many I've got at the moment. I think I've got about 120. But I know in the past, I have got work, not just because of this, but it's been a big part of it. I know I've got work because I have a lot of recommendations on LinkedIn over 10 years, in fact, more like 12 years. If you suddenly got 100 recommendations this month, that's a bit suspicious. <laughs> so I, I try and get at least one or two a month from people. And you should ask when, especially if you've just done a good job, ask for a recommendation. But I I got approached by a fintech organization to do social selling uh, for their international team. And I won the job and I asked the lady afterwards, why did you choose me? And she said, well, it was between you and two other people. But when we looked at your LinkedIn profile, bearing in mind I'm teaching her team how to sell on LinkedIn. When we looked at your LinkedIn profile, we realized that you had about 100 more recommendations than either of them. So we decided to go with you. This is this ties back to the thing I said earlier about social proof. You see, you have to be discoverable. We have to have social yeah, proof. exactly. This is social proof. Very true. Very true. And here also, most salespeople go wrong. They don't understand this portion of recommendation. You know, the kind of recommendations and all the people, all the sales folks that I have coached, and this is the first place where I go and work on their profile because the recommendations they, that they have is from their college yes. friends. <laughs> <laughs> from their colleagues who are working with them or past colleagues who are working the peers who are there and uh, their current or past managers so i tell them that was okay fine if you are if you if your objective to be on linkedin is to find a job then okay this makes sense this kind of recommendation definitely makes sense but if your objective is to get clients to generate lead to prospect then where are the meaningful recommendations where are those you don't have a client one client recommending you and then if you go and talk to your clients and say that oh my clients have always been extremely happy with me and I have been always uh, favored and I get a lot of references and all that stuff somewhere it needs to show and recommendation is that one place where if you really have been that good with your relationship building with your clients then I'm sure out of 10 clients that you have served, five people may have very happily agreed to give you a recommendation. Get that. I say exactly the same proportion. I say, ask for two, you'll get one. The same proportion. Yes. And also you can, this will help too, because I think most people are nice and they, if you ask them, will you do me a recommendation? They'll say yes, but often they struggle to know what to write. So I have a tiny checklist. And I say, so what I do is I request the recommendation and then I'll say, it might help to use this structure. So th this is an example of maybe write this down. So the first thing is, how did you know me? Two, what did we do together? Three, how did it help? And then four, would you recommend Janet? 
And literally that structure gives them something because it's, it's like a blank sheet of paper. If you just say to somebody, write an essay, it's really hard. But if you tell them what to write, they know it makes it easy. So make it easy for people to give you recommendations. Yeah, this again makes so much of sense because now even the, the recommender has a structure to think on and, and they exactly know because many times it happens that they ask, what should I write about you? And and. I think the most embarrassing thing is when they come back to you and say, why don't you write something? Yeah, yeah, I've had that a few times. Yeah, you really want it to be in their words. But actually, I'll tell you something funny. Um, So I, I asked someone for a recommendation and he did it and he just said two words. He said, excellent trainer. And I'm thinking, that's not very good. And then, you know, the more I thought about it, that's probably the best recommendation I've ever had. I'm an excellent trainer. What more could I need? Really? And and the fact that the recommendations look different from one another also shows that it's genuine. So I think that's really important. So I'd encourage all of you, take take control of your recommendations. Take control of your recommendations and get over this hesitation. Many times they don't know how to ask for a recommendation. There is a huge gap. Yeah, and also, do you know what? Give, give generously as well. If you've worked with someone and they've done a good job, offer a recommendation it's a nice thing to do and you never know how much they might appreciate it so I'm generous giving recommendations with people I work with that's a very good idea and um, this is where I think that reciprocity starts if I have suppose if you are hesitant in asking a client for a recommendation how about you go to the client's profile and leave a recommendation for the client. You know, talk about how good they are, how uh, you know how helpful they are as a client, how this relationship, this relationship has, has you know the, the kind of value that probably you have received from this relationship, personal value, not the professional value, the money and everything that you received. Exactly. As long as you do that bit at the end, you know, I'd really recommend this person. I mean, great. As long as you do genuinely know them, you shouldn't do it if you don't know them or you haven't worked with them. But my rule is I'll not do a recommendation for anyone unless I've actually worked with them, because to me, it's the gold standard. So you can endorse people for skills on LinkedIn. If I've had a meeting with someone, I'll endorse them for skills. You know, if they're a financial advisor and I've just been talking to them for half an hour, you know, the chances are they are a financial advisor. So I can endorse them for things. But recommendation, they must have worked with me. Otherwise, it, it just dilutes it. It's important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I received so many times a request for recommendation. I have so many pending recommendations on, on me. Because I don't even remember who they are. And they have sent me that, who recommend me? I'm like, who are yes. you? I go to their yes. profile. I try to remember them. I don't find any connection, any recollection of where have I met you? Where have I worked yeah. with you? Why yeah. am I supposed to be giving you a recommendation? So, uh, yeah, it makes, of course, you know, you should take recommendation only from those whom you have worked with. And, and I think invoke this principle of reciprocity give it first and then maybe you'll get it back also from your uh, clients if you have too much of hesitation exactly this brings me towards the um, end of our discussion uh, janet and tell me something what is it that um, sales people should be preparing themselves on about the future what is what are some things that they should be preparing themselves on about the future something which is probably either have just entered or about to enter or maybe it is a future that people are anticipating that something like that is going to happen so what is it something that they need to be prepared on okay so something that 
a lot of the people I train, particularly sales managers, are telling me. Now, I don't know if it's the same in India, but it's it's a thing in the UK. People are complaining that the youngsters are reluctant to make phone calls. They're used to Snapchat. They, they'll do videos, but they don't want to pick up the phone and make phone calls. Not all of them, but enough that it is a trend. And I think that there's two things you can do with this. Either we've got to give this generation a bit more training on how to use the phone and why it's not scary, or we've got to say, well, look, this generation will soon be moving through the workforce as decision makers. So perhaps we should be engaging with them in the way they want to. And if it's video, then we have to use video. And obviously, because of lockdown as well, a whole load of people are now perfectly okay with using Zoom, Teams. But the point is, we're used to virtual. So we I'll be watching this quite carefully because do we hammer the point about phone calls, which is a very effective way to reach a lot of people, or do we adapt what our outreach process looks like? And I, I suspect it'll be a bit of both. Okay. Uh, because I think it's interesting that you brought this up because sometime back, and it just reminded me that uh, some i was i was coaching a company a small uh, startup kind of a company and uh, the sales folks out there they were they were their job obviously is to generate lead uh, and and um, get uh, clients to for for demo demo of their uh, software and um, the sales people would say that i'll need somebody else to make those calls and then once the Meeting is done, and from there, I probably will take it forward, and I'll do the rest of the. There you go. But I'll need someone else to make that call for me. It's crazy, isn't it? I know. Now, now I'm able to kind of connect that dot. Now that it probably is a Gen Z thing that they're reluctant to call up. Uh, is could it be that that the maybe the way the Gen Z has grown up with with a lot happening with them and for them. Uh, in terms of technology, in terms of... I, don't know. I mean, when I was growing up, we didn't even have a phone yeah, in the exactly. house. I had to go to the phone box across the street. And then you you got a phone and it was a big deal, wasn't it? You, you could talk with your friends on the phone. But I think these guys have grown up with mobile phones, so they are contactable at all times. And they, they simply communicate in different ways. So the, the idea of an old-fashioned phone call is a little bit alien to them. I mean... I can, you know, waiting for the phone to ring or ringing and it was engaged. It's not really an experience we have. So if you wanted to talk to your friends, you had to really have a phone call. But now you can FaceTime, you can message. Messaging has taken over, I guess, because messaging. I think, yeah, I think they've got too used to the text part of it. Whether it is on WhatsApp or any other instant messenger app that uh, people are using world over, they're getting too used to the text part. It's easier for them to leave a voice message. Yeah, instead of have a conversation. They're also moving a lot into that virtual world. And I don't know what's going to happen with the metaverse, uh, in, in the metaverse aspect when, because they're all getting into the metaverse now. So my worry is that, are we going to be selling to avatars and all the calls my avatar is going to call your avatar and then they are going to set up <laughs> and then the selling happen between two avatars oh dear i don't know if i like that i think i want people 
Please give me people. You and I can be relaxing on the Caribbean. Uh, island, oh, that's you right. know? Actually, good point. Yeah, all right. I'll do that. It's fine. <laughs> the avatars will be doing yeah, all the selling. Yeah. The money will come into our account. <laughs> but actually, it's, you know, the, with automation, it's sort of what's happening, isn't it? So you have a point. But I, I still think there'll be a place for human beings. Um, I, I don't think we necessarily have the appetite for a totally virtual world. But then who knows? I mean, it's accelerating so, so fast. I don't know. No, who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's just a matter of time when when when, when hologram will will become a very regular thing in sales also. So instead of Zoom, we'll have holograms. So Janet in a full-fledged form standing in front of me and we are having a normal conversation as if it's uh, just face-to-face, you know. So it's only a matter of time. This is this is all, these are all around the corner. And uh, the, the faster a salesperson probably... Uh, adapts to this changing technology and understands it and stop saying that oh I can't technology is still still an alien thing for me you need to wake up because otherwise you'll really be left behind and it probably would be very difficult for you to catch up uh, later yeah I mean when when I was at Xerox um so social media didn't exist emails were starting to be a thing I didn't have a mobile phone I had a pager we used to have faxes and orders came through like we used to post letters to one another. So, you know, if you're growing up now and you, you've grown up with all the modern technology that we have, in many ways, it's easier for you than perhaps for our generation. But we are still doing it. So if we can do it, you can absolutely do it because it should be so much easier for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think uh, this entire podcast is getting interesting and interesting and interesting with so many new perspectives that are coming in and thank you Janet for actually this episode was not actually a podcast but it was a master class on social selling <laughs> on, LinkedIn, on asking questions I mean this is an absolutely a practical workshop that just happened and I think everyone got a lot and lot and lot of practical tips on what they need to do. So thank you. Thank you so much for being so generous with all things that you shared. Oh, my pleasure. And, you know, Pritha, you, you're my buddy. <laughs> you're my buddy on the other side of the world anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you very much. And thank you to all of you who are listening to this episode, who has tuned in. And I, I'm sure that you really, really had a good time listening to Janet and I talking about this whole thing aspect of social selling and prospecting. Stay tuned because uh, the other episodes are also going to be equally interesting and a lot of new things, new learnings, and probably some new thoughts are going to be coming your way. Take care and God bless you. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Sellers Lounge. A huge thank you to our guests and of course, all of you sales champions out there who tuned into this episode. If you found value in today's conversation, make sure to follow the podcast and share it with your sales buddies. Please also leave a review sharing what you like about this podcast. And if you want to take your sales game to the next level, head to my website, thesuccessvitamin.com to get loads of exclusive content and courses. This is your host, Pratha Dube, signing off with a reminder that if you are not selling, you are not winning.
See you next week.